Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. All of us have been faced with this question at some point in our lives. I've got good news and I got bad news. Which one you want first? I mean, I've got both and I really need to give both of them to you, but, but which one you want to hear first? And even though the person is telling you, hey, there's good news coming your way. Come on, we tend to focus a lot more on the bad news, right? Like, like when you get asked this question, I'm, I'm guessing you're like me. You immediately focus on like, well, what? What, what, what bad news are you talking about? Well, well, I told you there was good news too. You say, yeah, I don't really care about that. What's the bad news? And I don't know if you've ever considered this or really thought about it before, but, but who is asking that question makes an enormous difference, right? Like, like if your coworker asks that question, you're not panicking that much. But, but your boss, that, that heart starts beating a little bit faster. Or, or how about this one? My parents got this call a lot raising me. The, the principal calls and says you need to come into the school and then poses that question. I got good news, I got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? I can promise you my parents weren't paying a lick of attention to the good news. They're all like, tell me what my idiot kid did this time. Or, or if your wife asks that question, you might get a little bit antsy, right? But, but if you roll in the door and your teenage son asks that question, totally different story. So, so let's just kind of take a quick poll. I know we can't totally see each other right now. Who, who prefers the good news first? And who prefers the bad news first? I'll admit, I'm more the bad news first type of person. Wouldn't you know it, everyone? I got some good news, and I got some bad news to share with all of you this morning. And I'm actually going to lead with the good news. You ready for this? I actually think this is really, really, really good news. And admittedly, I'm a little bit biased as a pastor of a Christian church, but it's actually the best news ever. I should also mention, spoiler alert, in case you don't know the ending to this whole Easter deal. Here's the good news. He doesn't stay dead. I thought maybe people would cheer at least a little bit. Yet, yet you heard it here first. Jesus, after being put in a tomb for three days, I mean, dead as dead gets, he rises from the grave. Meaning a person just successfully predicted their own death and resurrection and, and then actually pulled that off. Now, that's really, really good news. And if you don't believe me, in just a minute, I'm going to explain why this is such good news for every single person who is watching right now. It's such good news, actually, that you might have already forgotten. I told you there's actually some bad news headed your way this morning as well. Ready for the bad news? It's your fault. The death of Jesus, the Son of God, is on your hands, on, on my hands. It's actually not totally fair. It's on all of our hands, not just you. But the fact remains, the reason that Jesus was put to death is because of you, me, all of us. But, but again, you compound that with the knowledge of the good news, that, that he doesn't stay dead. It doesn't sound quite as bad, but it's still not great. Now, full disclosure, I grew up going to church. My parents are Christians. This Jesus dude has always been a part of my life. I've always been familiar with the good and the bad part of this story. And with the Bible so deeply entrenched in my upbringing, I felt like I knew it pretty well. I knew the stories. I understood the implications for my own life. It, it didn't really feel like there was all that much new to uncover, which would only further add to my confusion and shock when someone in college pointed out a chapter of this book called The Bible to me that I never remembered seeing before. It, it was one of those moments where, where someone tells you something and, and then without even thinking, with absolutely no self-awareness regarding your aggressiveness at all, you just kind of rip the item out of the person's hand to see for yourself. It's like, let me see that. In this case, it was a Bible. See, at this point, 
I was having a bit of a crisis of faith, which actually might be a little bit dramatic, but, but it was early on in college that I really started to ask myself some tough questions that maybe you've asked as well. It's like, do I really believe this stuff? Why do I believe this stuff? Have, have I ever actually investigated it for myself or am I just believing it because someone else told me so, because mom told me so or dad told me so? So anyway, this other person, I don't know, probably sensing my doubt, points out this chapter of scripture. For me, at least, it was truly a faith-altering moment, a life-defining moment. Like, how in the heck have I never seen this before? Because I'm pretty sure that this is where we as Christians should start with anyone who's even remotely leaning into this whole conversation about Jesus. And as we read this chapter, I want you to ask yourself, who does this sound like it's talking about? Who does this sound like it's talking about? And it's not just a question for the Jesus followers. Even if this is basically your first time walking through the doors of a church, checking out a church, I think you're going to be able to solve this riddle. Oh, and one more thing. And why this chapter of scripture in particular blew my mind and still to this day humbles me and only further galvanizes my faith. It was written around 700 B.C. And just in case you've forgotten, B.C. stands for before Christ. So we're going to take a look at a chapter of scripture. We find it in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53 specifically. And we find this in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible. There it says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared, he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He, he, he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. I want to go back to our question. Who does this sound like it's talking about? Now, call me a simple man. But, but that right there was basically all I needed. All, all I needed for all that doubting to be whisked away. Not, not to mention the fact that Jesus would fulfill conservatively at least another 300 of those things. What we've come to kind of just refer to as, as prophecies. It's a statistical anomaly that defies any level of scientific comprehension. But just like that, 
No more doubt. No, no more childlike faith. I, I chose to believe. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, you're, you're probably struggling to understand why those words are so profound to a person like me. But, but, but I'm telling you, no matter where you find yourself today on this whole faith journey, whether you're a full-blown skeptic or a fully devoted follower, it's passages like those that demand you take a closer look, that, that you at least lean into this conversation. Let me explain what I mean, and I want you to keep in mind, I'm only going to call our attention to some of the prophecies fulfilled in just that one chapter of Scripture. Knowing that there are skeptics probably watching right now, I'm only calling attention to those that are most obvious, those that are most glaring. Let's first draw our attention to verse number three. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, uh, acquainted with deepest grief. Now, now, before we dive into this right here, I, I want to point this out. Nobody at this point, no one, tries to deny the very existence of Jesus. No, nobody debates that there was a guy at some point in history named Jesus. Like, there's nobody trying to reject that. The debate surrounds whether or not this individual Jesus is the son of God, whether he's our risen savior. But back to this verse here, number three. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. During his time on earth, he was despised and rejected by the religious men of that day. Now, again, I want you to keep in mind, you're going to hear me keep re revisiting this, but nobody debates that. Again, everybody agrees that there was a guy at some point by the name of Jesus, that he was eventually crucified. And again, every historical book points to the fact and every finding points to the fact that he was eventually put to death on a cross. And, and he wasn't put to death on a cross by like Roman people. He was put to death on a cross by the religious men of that day. They are the ones that punished him. So intimidated by the message of Jesus, they are the ones that eventually would put him to his death. Nobody debates that particular point. Over and over, we are told that this did not bring Jesus any level of glee or satisfaction. In fact, it caused him untold grief that God's chosen people, the Israelites, ended up being the very people that stood in such direct opposition to him. In verse five, we're told he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. One of the core tenets of Christianity, and again, even if this is all new to you, you probably know this part. One of the core tenets of Christianity is that Jesus was without sin and in no way deserved death. It was Jesus' plan all along that he would be put to death for our rebellion, for our sin. Verse 6 it says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Again, we have all sinned. I have yet to meet someone arrogant enough to try and deny that. You, you might be uncomfortable with that word sin, but you're like, okay, yeah, I, I've done something wrong at some point in my life. And the sins of all mankind were again laid on Jesus. Verse number seven, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. See, not just the Bible, but literally every historical document from this period contests that in the midst of these accusations being thrown at Jesus, he never opened his mouth. Presented with opportunities to defend himself, he remained silent. Verse eight, no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. There is absolutely no argument at this point to be made regarding the age of Jesus when he was put to death on the cross. He was approximately 33 years old. Again, everyone agrees on that. Most people would call that middle-aged or, as the text says, midstream. And no one has ever tried to claim that he had biological children. Therefore, he had no 
descendants. Verse 9, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Now, now this one I find to be particularly intriguing. We know for certain that Jesus was placed in a tomb owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Now, we admittedly don't know every detail about this Joseph guy's life, but guess what we know for certain? He was rich, very, very rich. Verse 10, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. While Jesus would have no biological children, you can clearly see what this verse is foreshadowing. By offering his life for the sin problem that we cannot solve, he will in turn have many spiritual children, as in those who put their trust in him and choose to follow him. What we call the big C church, the body of followers of Jesus for all of generations. Come on, even the most skeptical people in the room, even the most skeptical people watching right now, you gotta admit that this is at least curious, conspicuous. It seems to be a little bit more than a coincidence that all of this would have somehow come to fruition. And allow me real quick to kind of beat your skeptical brain to the church. It is impossible to play the, well, someone must have written that after Jesus was strolling around on earth, and then they just kind of snuck it into the Old Testament card. Because we have countless ancient manuscripts that this document, Isaiah, existed long before Jesus stepped onto the scene, like hundreds of years long. Now, hopefully that little jog down apologetic lane was mildly appealing to at least three of you. That was my effort to appeal to the intellectual side of your brains, but Allow me for the rest of the time to just speak to your hearts. Uh, Steve Jobs, who is Apple's legendary founder and CEO, he was asked on 60 Minutes, this is really interesting, shortly before his death, that this question was posed to him, and again, you can look up this interview for yourself. But the interviewer said, hey, Steve, do you believe in God? And he went on to give a very, very thoughtful answer. He, he explained that at certain points in life he had, and other times he hadn't. But, but he found, and this is interesting, upon being diagnosed with cancer and being faced with his impending death, he said he wanted to believe. He, he went on to explain that it just can't all fade to black when we die, that, that somehow we, we must, right, we must live on. Incidentally, it's why they never put on-off switches on Apple devices. He didn't like the idea of being able to just flip a switch and shut something off. I'm not kidding. That's not a joke. But, but come on. Isn't that true of all of us? Isn't it true that deep down, you have to admit it to anybody else, but isn't it true that, that you want to believe? And in the person of Jesus, there. There isn't just the intellectual foundation and argument, and yeah, that's there, but in Jesus, we find the answer to our deepest longings, our deepest desires, what our own hearts are crying out and yearning for. No matter how confident and put together you may appear to be, regardless of how stubborn you may be, come on, I know this is hard to admit, but you know there's something wrong with you. I, I, I'm not asking you to admit this to anyone else, but it's just between you and that God that may or may not exist. But you know that if there's a God out there, you fall short, that, that, that whatever the standard is, you couldn't possibly measure up. Because let's just be honest, I mean, you can't even keep your own rules. You don't even follow all the rules all the time that you ask your kids to follow. 
that you ask your spouse to follow, that you ask your employees to follow, as annoying as it is and as painful as it might be to admit, that there's something inside of you that seems to regularly get you to do that which you don't want to do and keep you from doing that which you know you ought to do. It, it celebrates when other people fail. It's critical when others succeed. It whispers, it's okay, keep watching when no one else is around. It slaps you on the back and says, have another, you deserve it. It demands that you get all the credit and none of the blame. It's quick to get angry, even quicker to speak and slow to listen. What is that? And God, who is quick to extend mercy, who is quick to extend grace and even slower to extend condemnation and judgment, lovingly tells us, lovingly tells us, shows us, that's sin. That is your sinful nature dragging, dragging you away from me and towards that that's ultimately gonna cause you harm. That, that, that's that sin problem that you have no ability to solve on your own. Come on, your own life has shown you that because for a lot of us, most of us, we've tried and we keep coming up empty. And God, rather than leaving us to wallow around in this mess that we've created for ourselves, he instead chose to get involved. And he got involved in a way that no one would have expected. In the most audacious display of love that this world has ever seen or known, he sent his son down to this earth. And after living the perfect life that we were supposed to live, he took on himself the weight of our collective sin problem and in turn, the wrath of God. Nothing that he did put him in that position. No, no, that was us, our sin. The bad news, it's your fault. It's my fault. It's our fault. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. See, God so desperately wants a relationship with you and loves you so much that he was willing to offer up his son for your sin. Quite literally, the most lopsided transaction in the history of the world. But he did it because he loves you that much. Because he is quite literally love. And in that moment, everyone thought that death the grave, evil, sin had won. But three days after being put in that grave, <laughs> well, I already told you this part. The good news, <laughs> he doesn't stay dead. He comes rolling on out. And with it, he declares victory over death, victory over your sin problem that you could not solve on your own. And what's even crazier he would have done it all for you if it was just you. He, he loves you that much. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Jesus died and rose from the grave for you. And you look back at all of it, 
and he declared it was worth it because he loves you that much. Come on. If there's a God out there, don't you hope that he has that kind of love for you? Tell me you don't want to believe in that God. Tell me you don't want to believe in Jesus. Some will say that it's just too good to be true. I say he's too good to not believe. Because of his redemptive work on the cross, has everything to do with him and nothing to do with us. We now have the opportunity to be made right with God, to, to have fixed what we screwed up, to solve once and for all that nagging sin issue that we just could not solve ourselves. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Faith and nothing else. Not faith plus trying harder. Not, not faith plus all your good deeds, just faith. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you can be made right with him. And all you need to do is believe.